3: Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn are back to launch the next global fashion brand in Making the Cut. In this new original series from Amazon, 12 designers from around the world compete for the opportunity to take their brand to the next level. New episodes available every Friday. Watch Making the Cut, only
4: on Prime Video.
5: I felt like fashion was, for a long time, taking inspiration
1: from all the transversal world, but never paid back. You make magazines that people would say to themselves, I have a great idea for a magazine. Oh no, it will never work. But you've gone ahead and you've done those
5: magazines. Every new issue of Candy or every new publication I do, I always feel like it could be the last one. I try to be flexible and to adapt myself to the new situations. And that's how
1: you become somehow resilient. What happens for everybody now? How do we move out of this crisis? Before this crisis,
5: every new day was also uncertain. We feel like we have control on things, but the greatest thing I feel is like, okay, I leave myself to cows.
6: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. In the latest episode of BOF Live, our editor at large Tim Blank spoke with Luis Venegas, editor and creative director of the cult magazine Candy. They speak about how fashion has been taking inspiration from gender non-conforming cultures without referencing or crediting them, how candy has been critical in celebrating what Venegas calls the transversal universe, and what it's like to run a magazine like Candy in the face of an existential crisis like the coronavirus outbreak. Here's Tim Blanks and Luis Venegas inside fashion.
1: I'm Tim Blanks and today I'm talking to Luis Venegas, magazine publisher extraordinaire and many other things as well. Um, I'm a magazine junkie and he's a man who has managed to turn uh, his addiction into a uh, Madrid-based publishing empire. So I'm really looking forward to talking to him today. So welcome, Luis. It's wonderful to see you. Um, Hello, everybody. Good to see you, too, Tim. <laughs> I don't know if I should say I'm sorry that we're meeting in these, in the, these circumstances, but in another way, um, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting because you are releasing this book, this absolutely gorgeous book, Everybody's Dream to have a book of their work published by Rizzoli, um, the first 10 years of your magazine, Candy, which was what you call the world's first transversal magazine. Um, now, that is just one of the magazines you publish. You also, there it is. is. Let's have dueling, magazine, dueling book covers. Now, my favourite and the way I found out about you was this magazine, Fanzine 137. It's uh-huh. And then you have Electric Youth, and you have the, the printed dog. Um, you make magazines that people would say to themselves, I have a great idea for a magazine. Oh, no, it will never work. But you've gone ahead and you've done those magazines and made them into beautiful objects, collectible, beautiful things. A- anybody who ever has ever been in love with a magazine, you have totally tapped into that <laughs> that love to make what you do. I'm blushing. <laughs> well good. I mean I, I can't heap enough praise on your head because um you know uh if, if I, I see your library there and it's an absolute masterpiece of order Mine is, of course uh,
5: <laughs> well this is this is hair. like uh this is like uh you say you say my library no this is like uh a little inch of the library. <laughs> no, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I've grown up like that. I really loved magazines since I was a child, and uh, in a way, I, especially fashion magazines and imagery and you know, that I've seen. Actually, I studied fashion design because somehow I felt I wanted to be related to the world of fashion. But then, I, years later, I realized what I fell in love really of the fashion world wasn't really like, you know, production of clothes or small leather goods or something that really is the industry. I was in love with fashion because of the imagery and and the fantasy of fashion that I could see in magazines and in books about fashion. The work of photographers, we have the fashion editors, all of that, that's the thing that made me fell in love with fashion and arts and many other things. So. I don't know. I kind of dream, as you said. Like, well, someday I would like to do my own magazine. And um, since the first one, high three three seven, that was that was in two thousand four. I mean, it's like uh, uh, sixteen years ago. And even blogs back then were like an starting thing. So, I mean, for me, there was no option. Maybe if I was thinking about doing a magazine today, maybe I will start with digital or something. But at that time, that I mean platforms like that didn't exist. I mean, well, maybe they were like starting little by little. I mean, it wasn't something, I, and also it wasn't the thing that I really felt related to at the time. So yeah, I tried to start them and I made them. That's it,
1: no more, no less. Now you say, you, you say that if you were doing something now, you imagine it might be digital, but I think what I've always loved about what you do is that you you honor the magazine as a fetish object. You know, when, when when I think about the magazines that I've when I left New Zealand in nineteen seventy four, I had three suitcases and one of them was full of magazines, <laughs> and it was it was like my favorite magazines. It was the Life magazine with Charles Manson on the front, and it was wow. the very the very first issue of Fabulous magazine with the Beatles on the front, and it was uh, every David Bowie. You still
5: got those? Still got oh, them?
1: Uh, they're actually the only ones that are in, in plastic. I mean, everything else is just piled up everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the actual physicality of a magazine is something that you honour, um, that you very deliberately set out to do with Candy, which was to take your subject, your, the, the, the marginalised people that you wanted to focus on, and give them the absolute multi-vogue, Treatment, you know, make candy as glossy and gorgeous and indisposable as it possibly could be.
5: Yes, that was the idea. I mean, I first, uh, I mean, when I started to plan the idea of doing candy, uh, I felt like it was, it should be something quite of the opposite of a dark uh, um, magazine. I wanted it to be glossy and to be a huge celebration of all the subjects and all the models that I was hoping to uh,
1: treat inside the magazine, to show in the magazine. Tell us about them. Tell us about your, your subjects.
5: Yeah, well, uh, Candy is uh, focused on what I call the transversal uh, people. Transversal people, many people, I mean, the people who know Candy, very often they think it's a trans, for a transgender magazine, but it's not only about trans or transgender people. There's also androgyny, transvestis, gender non-conforming people, drag queens, and also uh, cisgender uh, people who suddenly uh, go for a transformation for one day for a shoot for fun. So for me, that was the—that's what I call it, transversal. Oh yeah, that one. <laughs> James Franco. <laughs> exactly the viva franco i put on the cover like it for a spanish person it's kind of yes uh, so I wanted to ask you about that yes yeah well so the thing is like i i, I said how could i put that, uh, all of those manifestations for me basically everything that was like uh okay go fuck gender gender doesn't matter let's celebrate everything uh well it matters of course but it doesn't matter in a way in a way it's like uh, let's focus on everything that has to be celebrated around all those many manifestations. And that's how I came with the word transversal. Trans, because it means going from one place to another, transitioning, going, you know, and then universal, transversal. It felt like, okay, maybe this is the word in a way. And uh, that's what the magazine focused on. I felt like fashion was for a long time taking inspiration from all the transversal world, but never paid back. You know, it never, it never, I mean, there was very, oh, this is inspired by Candy Darling or something, but people didn't really know many people who Candy Darling was, or so maybe it was an obscure uh, subject before, especially for younger generations. So I felt like, okay, let's put it all together in, in, in a magazine and let's see what happens. And let's see if it's going to explode or survive or I don't know. But I didn't want it to be like a political thing or something, like a political statement. I wanted it to be a celebration, actually, a celebration of style, a celebration of uh, of um, intelligence in a way and humor and, and everything that's... Uh, in a way related to fashion and to celebrate
1: uh, all those things. And definitely broad broadening the uh concept of beauty as well. Um, just making beauty so, so much more of an inclusive idea, taking the the traditional fashion magazine approach to beauty and then just exploding it. But you 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 said uh, that the, the the James Franco cover, there we go. Yes, Jane, Viva Franco. Um when you started your obsession, when, you, when your obsession with magazines began to evolve, what, uh-huh. was, what was Spain like at that time and how difficult was it for you to feed your obsession? I don't, I don't understand what you mean, my obsession of... with well, w- w- what, What was Spain... I'm talking about you, presumably you started 2002, you started doing um, Fanzine, but you were obviously a, you know, I imagine you were a teenager in your room, like <laughs> collecting all these things, feeding your obsession. Yes. How, how difficult was it in, in, we are talking to you in Madrid today, by the way, everybody. So, um, Luis is in Madrid, um, on lockdown. And, um, <laughs> I just want. Wonder... good company with <laughs> you and with,
5: no, just, yeah, I, I, I get the, the question now. Well, first. The first printed matter that I was really, really very into and to collect, it was Marvel comic books. I love the X-Men, the Spider-Man, I Avengers, all of that, that now is like the cinematic uh, force. I, I love all of that. Actually, I'm reading a lot of those these days, again, the same that I used to read back in the 80s when I was a child. And it's amazing how much they, I mean, now I'm realizing, uh, now that I'm around 40, How how they made me the person i am today it's like it's it's amazing like i I remember this little page or something everything well and also in terms of composition when i compose a page i can see it's like all those storyboards that comic books are in a way now when i work in my magazines i'm beginning to realize how those influence me but then from there i went to I remember my uncle, he brought to me a record of a Spanish singer, and she was wearing a dress by a Spanish designer, and she was shot by Javier Ballonrat. Many I don't know how many people know Javier Ballonrat, he was an amazing photographer, he still is. But back in the 80s, he was like a master, together with Paolo Robertsi I mean, they were the, and Nick Knight, they were the ones playing with color and everything. So from, from that uh, cover record, I, I I keep, you know, pulling the thread. And I saw that I... I it was the first time I've ever read credits of, of, of a photograph. And there was also Juan Gatti behind the uh, graphic design of the whole thing. So, and Juan Gatti and Heber Bayon Rat, they were doing the imagery for Sibyla. Sibyla was also a fashion designer back in the 80s. So I fell in love with all that world. And they made me feel in love, fell in love with with uh, magazines, with, with... Because they kept buying magazines to try to find the images that they were doing together. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't easy. In my, I was living in a little town in the suburbs of Barcelona. My parents still live there. And I have to take a train. It's like 20 minutes from Barcelona. So, I mean, I couldn't find international magazines back in there. I had to go to Barcelona. And then, I don't know, for some reason, that interest, I mean, if, if there's always like a little thread or something, I was like 12 years old or something when I saw that photograph that I'm telling you now about. I mean, I'm starting from that now to all of this. <laughs> it's like uh, years later, I'm much more interested in many things and for the things that are to come, I want to, it's kind of, I have a, as, uh, Andre Leon Tolle said in that uh, Valentino documentary, is the hunger of beauty or something. Somehow I feel like I want to see and discover new things and many things from the past that maybe I haven't seen yet. That the thing that excites me the most to rediscover things that I was supposed to know and I was like what have I been there? How it's come that I never saw this before or something. But back then it wasn't It wasn't easy but in a way I, went, I started to go more and more to Barcelona and to go to newsstands and it was so exciting every time that now you see a cover of a magazine like one month before it's in the newsstands you see those in your cell phone and that's okay. But how exciting was then to go to Newsstand and discover the magazine there, and to keep it and to I mean, that was really exciting. I mean, it sounds like um, older generation talking, but it was an exciting feeling. Okay,
1: well, I'm an older generation than you, and I had exactly the same feeling when you when you got Pearl Louis when Bruce Weber did a special issue of Pearl Louis with a bound in something like the Summer Diary bound into the magazine. When you mm-hmm. got that. I was living in Toronto then and you just were like, it was probably only one of them came in to the, to, to Toronto and you had it and the feeling of, I mean, I've got all of them, I, like you. I, you just, that they become your your little, you know, your tokens. Uh. I, I have
5: to say, these days, even in lockdown, I'm lucky that I have my dog so I can walk him and there's a newsstand that it's not a fashion newsstand at all. I mean, they have like postcards and everything, but for some reason, they still keep, Bringing uh, international fashion magazines. I don't know why not I mean not the most uh, exquisite ones but the, you know the mainstream ones and I think visiting that place because I didn't want to miss the, uh, the, the Billie Eilish uh, issue of Vogue uh, US. I mean I wanted to go so yeah, I, even in, th- in days of lockdown I walk a little bit farther than I'm supposed to be allowed to go and uh, looking for magazines kind of who does that I mean
1: (laughs) well I mean I have to I suppose that begs the question what do you feel about magazines now I mean the 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 I feel the investment I had in finding the face or uh, blitz or pearly or um, Jill, remember Jill from Paris? Yeah, first. first. All, all those magazines, Babette Dijon's magazine. Though, when you found those magazines, that sort of you, you had a connection with them. Partly because it was so hard to find them. Um, I just wonder now where. I just wonder if what what makes a magazine special now that that, that is what thrilled me about Fanzine and about Candy, that they. I realize now, you know, when you're talking, I realize they, they, they brought back that feeling of, of kind of like that zing of obsession because you're obsessed. So, you know, I could totally relate. But, you know, do you see that in other places? Do you still see that in other places now? You mean in other magazines? In other magazines, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like many magazines. Uh,
5: you would like me to drop names of magazines that I like or for some reason? That would be nice. I, I love to do that. I mean, I'm I, I'm not one of those editors who's who feels like all other publishers or editors are their enemies. No, I keep enjoying very much what my other competitors are doing or something. It's I like very much. Uh, actually, let's start with with uh, Spanish magazines. Also, you know, mm-hmm. I think Apartamento guys are doing great. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, I I also like very much. Uh, buffalo buffalo sin mm-hmm. There are actually there are the ones i mean there was supposed to be a new issue uh, out like uh, now but they have to stop or something maybe it's going to be a bit delayed or something so tomorrow is the day you can download a little uh, pdf or partly of the content or something so i will check that i, I would like to see that i am excited to see the new things uh what else i like i like for example lately i like very much this magazine, great, huge magazine, the new re-edition that they started, like, um, years, like, three, four, five years ago of Holiday magazine.
4: Oh, yeah. big format.
5: Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I love Holiday, but that's, I realized today, like, it doesn't matter if they go to Scandinavia or to Egypt, every issue looks kind of the same.
1: New Zealand? It's like,
5: it's like, yeah, New Zealand. It's like they do one issue for each country, because it's yeah. supposed to be about... Uh, And at the same time, they have such a strong personality that uh, I think it goes kind of against the concept itself. Because it's like, it doesn't matter where they go, every issue looks kind of the same. Always great and always fabulous. But uh, I mean, I'm saying it's as a compliment because what I like the most in magazines if you were going to ask me this kind of thing is personality like in person like in people i mean actually or in a book or in a magazine or in a or in a you know, movie i love to see a voice i love to see a different personality something that is that makes a product or an article distinctive from anything else i like that i like to see that and i i mean the identity on the and the you know when you feel like uh, this is so, I don't know. I like Fantastic Man. What they do is always great. I feel like um, they started like a like a school of mag, similar magazines. Eh? And they also influence other um, gentlemen uh, magazines in a way. So I like that. I like that the strong personality is working on on on
1: printed matter. And then I, I think something that that you did that I, I respond to in magazines. Um, like System Magazine, I think does this. Oh, System! Work. I love. I love. It is, System is that wonderful sense of the archive coming alive. You know that absolutely. But you did this um, with Fanzine. Um, I'll, I'll never know how you got people like Richard Buckley and Bruce Weber to open their archives to you. Because I, I, I did read that you mo- you wrote the most charming Jefferson Hack in in, in his foreword for the Candy book. Did say that you're famous for writing the most charming letters that absolutely nobody can resist. So you got <laughs> these intensely private people basically to send you their baby photos, which I thought was just incredible that you got people to do stuff like that. Um, but but in Candy, at the at the beginning of Candy, you were you were very diligent about introducing your audience to The lost heroes and heroines of the LGBT LGBTQ culture, reminding people that that battles had been fought and won or lost for decades on behalf of freedoms that people had now. Um, And I always thought that was a really that added this incredible emotional undertow to Candy. It's there's nothing there's nothing better. Than finishing something you love, and also being able to feel gratified that you learned a whole lot while you were loving it, you know, that in mm-hmm. some way you, your consciousness was expanded. Um, I'm blowing more smoke up your ass here, but I think that that's a very, um, that's a very, that's a very valuable thing that you managed to do with your. You managed to turn your obsession into this incredible platform to 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 give credit to people who maybe never had it while they were alive or, you know, even even while they are still alive. Yeah, but the thing that surprised me, I mean, surprised me. Thank you very
5: much first, Tim. I mean, first, the people who really have to get the credit for all of that, for all that fight through inclusivity and everything of that is the actually are the activists, the people who have fight for that. I mean, I'm just an, an ally making a magazine, you know? It's not the kind of the... But I recently, I read a quote uh, of Franca Sotsani in, uh, there's a book of her, uh, and they were, I mean, she was talking about that famous uh, black models issue she did for, she did for Vogue Italia. And she said, like, you know, anyone could have done it, but I'm the one who did it. (laughs) And I feel kind of the same. I was wondering myself, how is it? that it has never been done before. Yes. I mean, I felt yes. like, how is it? I mean, and actually I was telling this before it started. I, Jefferson Hack, he was one of the people I talked to. Um, and there's also Jimmy Paul, the fabulous hairdresser, who used to be Jimmy Paulette in, very famous for the non-golding images of two drag queens in the back of a taxi. And I told Jimmy And on a bicycle. Yeah, and I I was telling him like, Jimmy, I'm thinking about doing this magazine. He was like, oh my God, you have to do it and you have to do it now. I mean, don't waste your time. He was very, very encouraging. He was like, whoa, okay, so maybe I have to do it. It was 2008 when he gave me that advice. That was recession time. Same as now is it going to be, probably it looks like now is going to be another recession. And that's in recession time is when this book goes out. It's like, it feels like it somehow it's like close in a circle or something, but yeah, I don't know. it felt like it felt like the right thing to do, and i'm I'm happy that somehow the response it had from many people who had been somehow diminished in the past now they felt like they have a platform,
1: yeah and yeah. they
5: have a and i mean, sorry, but I have to say i never i mean back in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. I never saw any transgender or transvestites or drag queens on the cover. I mean, there were some one and there and there, but never in the co- on the cover of a glossy fashion magazine. They were not included included in most uh, um, fashion shows or something. So I, I'm not saying all of that happened because of Candy, but certainly I mean maybe I realized that it was going to happen, and I realized it a little earlier than everybody else and I put that in a magazine and somehow everything put together helped to the it's funny because I, I, I wanted Candy to be like uh, the usual glossy fashion magazine and now glossy fashion magazines more and more uh, future content that could be very easily be in Candy so it's great I love that I mean somehow it, I I feel I'm not putting any medal to me or something, but I help to, to manage some. as an agent of change or something, as they say.
1: I don't know, I hope I, I've contributed to that. But do you, do you, do you feel that as, um, as the world has opened up to embrace the culture that you focus on in the magazine, when we have RuPaul's Drag Race being a huge, mm-hmm. multi-Emmy awards sensation, Emmy award-winning sensation. We have Poe. Uh,
5: sorry, that's recent. I mean, yeah, she's, she's been like 10 years doing it, but the recognition and the Emmy Awards arrived like two or three years ago. Yes, she's yeah. been doing the same show for seven years before that recognition.
1: Yeah, yeah.
5: And we devoted uh, RuPaul fans and drag queen fans. We've been watching it. And finally, it's getting the recognition. So I guess it takes time, but at the end, if the message is strong and pure and everything,
1: it, it. I mean, it's going to be there. It's going. It's going to succeed. I. Go, I hope. I guess. But then you have Pose as well. Um, yes. And, and you have. Uh, you have these shows. You have these. These things. Which, if you think, when was Priscilla Queen of the Desert? How long ago was that? I think that was ninety three, ninety four. Okay, so that was. And but that was an outrider at that point.
5: Yeah there's always been like uh, luminaries like priscilla and many
1: others of course yeah. yeah there's always been but do you feel candy has um changed to reflect i f- i feel uh from the from the beginning of candy to now i feel candy got younger i feel it got more reflective of the culture now it got it became less archival um and it was it was much more about reflecting, you know, when you have Hari Neff editing an issue and oh, wow. and doing all the multi-covers and, and it, it's, it, it seems like it's less, um, less a kind of, uh, what can I say? <laughs> less a sort of introduction to a culture um, as it was when you first started, when you had a story on Candy Darling herself. Mm-hmm. And now it's much more reflection of what's happening right now. It seems to have, it, it seems now to be more of a, more kind of journalistic perhaps than it used to be.
5: And you mean it in a, is it good? Is it bad? I would like to know what you feel. Oh, no, no,
1: it, just, it just feels a lot more, um, feels to me like you felt you'd done what you set out to achieve. And now you were making a magazine that was about now. In a way, when Candy started, there was there was there was a lot that was about then. There were there were you could you, you could see you'd been saving up stories for years. That <laughs> these are the people. If I ever had a magazine, these are the people I want to do a story <laughs> on. You know, you could feel that. And now it's much more. It's it feels much more immediate. Much more rooted in the now. Perhaps I don't know.
5: I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I'm not. The, I mean. I am the same person that I was back in then in 2009, because I basically think we we don't change, but we keep on transforming ourselves. So maybe my own feeling of it is taking me. It's not a. I mean, what you mentioned, uh, I appreciate that as a perception of you. uh, I mean, of your feeling looking at the magazine. It's not really a plan or something that I. But yeah, there's more new uh I, I mean it's true there's more transgender and yes. transversal
1: personalities yes. Yes. popping up and, yeah and so there's i want to show more, that there's a lot more of that culture exactly to, to, about, right to photograph to, yes yeah
5: exactly so there's much more but still i always i mean all those stories that are like archival or something uh i always i mean have a special place in my heart from to them <laughs> no yeah because i really in ju- I mean, in the last issue of Candy, there's the story of, uh, of a trans woman, which she's alive. Her name is Joey Gabriel. And she, she's she been photographed by Nan Golden, Jack Pearson, um, David Armstrong. Actually, she has a lot of pages in, in the book. Yeah. And she was shot by the same, by her friend, fabulous journalist and artist uh, called Sunny Suits. She's always been very, very uh, supportive and very, collaborative to me. She believes in candy a lot. So she's a kind of, I mean, Joey Gerbil herself, this woman, she's kind of unknown or maybe she's an obscure. She's not as famous as Laverne Cox, you know, she's a different kind of icon for a minority. And I felt like, and she was Sunny, the lady, the girl who was doing the story about her. She kept showing me uh, scrapbooks that Joey had done with photos and tickets from concerts and everything. I was like, these are amazing. We have to put this in a magazine. And it became the longer story, the longest story I've ever done in Candy. It's like 60 pages in the last issue of Candy. And from I mean, I did that. And then I had response from Harinev, for example. She was saying to me, who's this Joey Gabriel? She's amazing. So in a way, it's like, uh, again, it's kind of the same thing as going as i said like how exciting was to go to uh, uh, to the newsstands and see the magazine uh it's something that younger people maybe don't get but well at the end they get it i mean the younger generations the people i mean i have i mean i had friends uh, helping me to put uh, an a, a, um an intern helping me to put all this uh, library in 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 a place and every time they had a, a book that it was like oh wow this book is amazing so somehow past, present, and everything. Yeah. It's in, in, in digital. I enjoy very much digital stuff. I enjoy very much uh, physical stuff. Everything is kind of the same as long as it has, uh, like uh, again, identity, and it's a strong and it's passion and heart in all those stories. Somehow, I don't know, I talk like a shaman or something. So.
0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
3: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, and not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Uh, pure bliss. Live up to the all new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Sorry.
1: <laughs> but when, when, when did you first become aware of um, transversal culture? What what was what who were the key people who who kind of lured you into it?
5: I was a child when uh, I was a child when uh, I, I was seeing some singer on TV, and my sister, she's four years older than me. I was probably like six or seven or something. She told me, "Hey, you like the the female singer?" And I was like, "Yeah, she's amazing. Look at her." And she was, "Well, she's a boy." Andrea. Amanda- and- uh, no, no, no. It was Boy George, actually. Oh. To me, as a child, he looked like, a, I mean, that when he had the brides and the, is stupid, you know, all, all of that. And uh, Karma Chameleon, all of that, that papa. And he looked so amazing with the makeup and everything. I was like, wow. So he never, I mean, he's not a, a transgender person at all. But to me, that image, it somehow it broke the conception I had as a child of how a woman, a girl should look and how a boy should look in a way. I mean, David Bowie and all of them. I mean, they were before my that, but I discovered them later because I was a child then. So that was wasn't TV back in the 80s. It was more like uh, the image of androgyny for me the first time
1: it was, it was uh, Boy George. Yes. <laughs> and then Annie Lennox dressing like a man, which was exactly the same time. Sweet dreams are made of this, that iconic
5: look. I mean, that red hair, the suit and everything, that was perfection. I mean, that was, those are really strong images that survive the time. I mean, it doesn't matter. It could have been done, well, it could have been done yesterday. It was done back in the 80s because I felt like, Maybe I hope, I don't know, this whole crisis, maybe if it brings something good, maybe. I feel like in the last years, like the last two decades of the past century, and even maybe the first two uh, decades of this century, I mean, when I was a child growing up in the 80s, there was this idea of the future, how the future was going to be, how the future... I mean, or maybe I was a child, and that's how. I, that's why I get that perception. Because when you're a child, somehow you're thinking about your future more and more, or at least I was. I don't know. But now everything looks more like uh, they used to focus on bringing things from the past, but not really giving recognition to the to the to the fonts, You know, where they found those references or something. So I don't know. I feel like uh, when. It's again, it's every 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 generation is entitled to have their new icons and everything. But I don't know. I feel like back in the eighties and, and, and early nineties, most of the the push of, of future and how is the future gonna be, what can I bring to the future, what can I put that's new there? It it was more 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 of a
1: thing more than it is now. Because I think that it had You know, when you talk about the Boy George images and how he was so benign in a funny way, but how inflamed people got by him. Or you can even, you can go 10 years later and you can look at Kurt Cobain wearing those dresses that he wore. Or you can go 10 10 years earlier and you think about, you know, the the images that, that, that hit me the way Boy George hit you. I remember seeing a story about the coquettes in a magazine. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember the first story I ever saw about Jackie Curtis and Candy Darling in a magazine.
4: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was absolutely mesmerized by these people. And, and the whole notion of transgression, like in transversal, I mean, there's transformation, there's transition, but there's also transgression. It is, and it I, is. That, that's, that's enormously appealing to a certain kind of teenager. Um, the, there was something so utterly there was something joyful, but there was something so, so transgressive about about um, the coquettes and Warhol superstars. And I was obsessed and I would read anything. That's why I, I come to a magazine like um, Candy and it gives me the backstory that I wanted to have when I first read about those people. You, know, <laughs> you could do a big Have you ever done a big story about hibiscus and, and candy? About who?
5: Hibiscus. Uh, hibiscus, not candy. yet, not yet, not yet, not uh-huh. yet. Actually, I've been in contact with one of the original coquettes, uh, Rumi Misabu. And, but yeah, it's it's one of the. But, you know, I also feel like there were a few stories of the coquettes. Lots. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, I, well, there was this amazing uh, Stephen maycell inspired story of uh, as in the coquettes way. And there was a great one in acne paper. I mean, but those now
1: are like uh, seven years ago, at least. So maybe it's about time to bring them back Memory, again. Memories are short. But it's just <laughs> it's just funny how powerful you talk about Boy George and how powerful those those things, how they stay with you and how they kind of form the way you look at other things. You find yourself... You know when David Bowie came along and used used sort of Warholian image and his images and his videos and things, and um, how how you you had that sense that a lot of other people like you had been looking at this stuff, but you didn't know you didn't know those people. You found them later on. You found your people. Did you feel sort of you were quite isolated when you first did fanzine?
5: No, never. I've never felt isolated at all. Uh it's like um I mean I'm a Pisces. I don't know if it if it's uh, I mean we really enjoy being in our little um water place of dreams or something. I I always had friends. I've always enjoyed very much going out with my friends, but I by far enjoy very much being home alone and looking at magazines and look, searching for things. I don't know, I kind of like it. I, I really like it. So and the people who are now part of my crew of people that I'm friends with, and somehow you have to look for them, but not really. To me, it happened naturally in a way. And many friends I've met them through the I've met them through the work I've done. I had this photographer that I liked, and I contacted him, and somehow that person became my friend. And I don't know. It's 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 very much like that. And I, I never felt. Um, I mean, it's really great that now there's social media. And if there's some people feeling, some teenager girl or boy feeling as maybe isolated that I never felt, but maybe they feel now through social media, they have the access to many people like them everywhere in the world. And that's so great. I mean, and we have the the possibility of seeing this many different cultures, different from what we see every day. Uh, well, of course, this is nothing new than what I'm saying. I say like now, like it started yesterday. No, it's been like that for the last 12, 15 years or something. But it's really great to realize that. It's like, um, it, I feel it's a, very, it's a very progressive thing. When people say like iPhones or screens isolated us, I, I never thought that was true before. And now with this crisis, it's less true than ever before. Now that we are isolated, we have to thank these screens that we're able to communicate and see each other. So I feel like the perception through that is going to change also to an uh, older generation because, the my, I mean, I see my nephew and my niece, they're 13 and, 12, and 14 years old. They don't even think about it. I mean, it's like they take screens for granted as we had uh, phones for granted. I don't know in a way when I was growing up. You know, so it's like when you see those eighties uh, uh, movies, teenage movies, and there's a girl talking on the phone, and there's a mother kid, hey, cut the phone or something. It's exactly the same thing as asking your son or your asking your children now to stop looking at the at the at the computer or the cell phone. It's the same thing, only the object is different, but it's the same thing.
1: And I could go back further to the day when there were telephone exchanges, like in Bye Bye Birdie with everybody on the telephone exchange or Butterfield 8 with Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor. Um, the, 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 still, the, the idea appeals to me that, that, you know, like they were in the 19th century, there were literary salons and, um, you know, where people would get together and writers, artists, musicians, uh, dancers, whatever, would get together and there, there'd be this sort of exchange of ideas and, Everybody would go away enriched. I mean, right now there's an Aubrey Beardsley exhibition on in London, um, which nobody can go and see, unfortunately. But he did this thing called the Yellow Book, and he drew uh-huh. in all the sort of interesting, kind of transgressive people from his moment into this this publication, uh-huh. and and that became like this benchmark for for culture moving forward. It became like this inspiration for people who came after him, artists and writers and musicians and so on. And I, and I kind of feel when you have something like candy, um, it's like a secret society in a way, um, that, that just, you know, expands to embrace the world. And um, I wonder how, you know, you're, you're living in Madrid, you're, you're um, I hardly ever see you anywhere. Um, you, you're not like somebody who's kind of wildly traveling around the circuit, um, you know, like a, like a media <laughs> imperialist does. Um, I, I just wonder how, wh- whether you ever step back and look at what you've done and think, oh, my God, you know, that that is <laughs> it's such an achievement. I mean, uh, how, uh, you, you have this sort of innate humility, but um, you need a lot of ego to, to achieve what you've achieved. I think. <laughs> I mean
5: uh, humility Uh, there's this song from Carly Simon where she sings I don't expect humility but what about some with all dishonest modesty so I feel like uh, I'm kind of some I mean I mean (laughs) uh, yeah I'm I'm going to reveal yeah the most time I play dishonest modesty actually because I know what I've done and I I i'm proud of it and um
1: yeah it's like uh what was the question <laughs> uh, uh, whether you have uh, uh, oh, a step back from whether you ever take a step back and look actually, at what you've done and just think good god it's funny genius. because
5: i i have a big and, and you also mentioned about the ego
1: yes i have a big
5: ego i have to say maybe because i'm a small person like chihuahuas
4: they bite you, and
5: I'm like, I kind of have a big ego, yeah. But yeah, um, the longest at, the same, hours. <laughs> at the same time, I, I try to to be flexible and, you know, and, and not to be, I mean, but ego, in, I hope to be in the best uh, way possible. I know who I am. I've always been very uh, secure about myself and my powers, in a way. I always have, I mean, I grew up being the... the the boy who had the better grades in, in in at school always in my classroom so somehow that helped me and also my mother when i was a child she used to say she used to tell me oh my son you're so beautiful you're handsome how beautiful you are so i grew up thinking i was this kind of apollo or something <laughs> later i realized I'm not. I mean, I could be <laughs> a, another different kind of demigod. I have, I hope, but that thing it, it gave me confidence. It really gave me confidence in what I do, in what I can do, in what my powers are. And then doing the my, doing the book, uh, the candy book. When you say, "My God, what I've accomplished," and all of that, it's funny because I was looking to all those uh, past issues that I've done for the last ten years, and I, you know, I know exactly what story is. And I mean, if you tell me, you remember a shot you did with uh, Brett Lloyd? Yeah, I know that was in the 30s. You you know, I really know where everything is. But I was looking at those magazines and it was like something else, someone else had done them. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of work in here. How did I manage to do that? But the thing is, I keep on managing to do that every day. So I really also believe in those things that I tattoo in my hands, like the work hard hard
3: work
5: Mm -hmm. I feel like well if you have that kind of special powers to do something well you have to work to make them happen it's not only being I mean the more it's not only about the. every time I keep thinking on that thing when they say like oh he's or she is such a talent well talent is okay but it's not enough I mean you have to work on that I mean otherwise Talent goes wasted. I don't know. It's like, um, so it's, it's both things. But the good thing in my case is the hard work, what I do is also what I like the most to do. So for me, it's not really like work. It's not like, oh, I have to go to work now. It's my passion. I'm, I'm sure it's for you working on the thing you're doing, on your going to shows and, and uh, reviews and thinking and writing. And probably it's a thing that moves you the most to do. I guess, I don't know.
1: Uh, but uh, I think you're extremely blessed if you, can, if you can do what you love and you love what you do. You know, I think probably. that's, yeah.
5: Yeah, but also there's, also, there's also, you're blessed, but at the same time, I feel like you have to be in a way, especially when you're starting your life and you, you're a younger person and trying to realize what are you going to do with your life? First, you have to realize it hopefully, when you realize it, you have to be brave and go for it. Because sometimes people get scared, like, I don't know. I mean, if you're looking for, I mean, being an independent publisher, like I am right now, and doing printed matter, as I am doing right now, people saying about this situation with the coronavirus and everything, like, oh, everything's going to change. Everything is going to be so weak. I mean, I've always, I mean, probably now it's going to be worse than ever. but i always kind of i mean my team has always been like uh, maybe if you have a team of people that you have to pay their salaries every month yeah it's kind of scary but in my way i always felt like in every new issue of candy or every new publication i do i always feel like it could be the last one because i'm an independent person and i'm not i don't have a financial group or something um you know paying the, the i mean i have to manage all that so i always felt like kind of uh you know like working on a thread like a phonambulist or something uh, and somehow succeeding to arrive to the last, to the next time and then you go away. And then, I mean, doing that same thing with, a, with like a phonambulist from one issue to another, but maybe someday I'm going to fall or something. But I don't know. I try to be flexible and to adapt myself to the new situations. And that's how, I, that's how you become somehow resilient and you do things in a way. So you're, it's really
1: working on that every day. If you fall, you have piles and piles of books and magazines to, <laughs> to soften the impact. <laughs> I, have to, I have to ask you if there was something catastrophic in your, in your place, what is, what would you, what would you run towards to save? What would be the thing that you, what, what is the one magazine that you would save? the one that most uh, to you? The one magazine this, I mean,
5: it's funny because, you know, this great um, photocritic, uh, Vince Aleri? Yes. A great one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with him. There's this... Uh, I wasn't burned back then. He discovered it when, when... I mean, he was one of a child when he went to the, to the news and bought that one. But there's this issue of Harper's Bazaar, April 1965. It's a very famous issue because they had Jane Shrimpton on the cover with a blimp tie. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And that one is, it was guest edited by Richard Avedon. And uh, I bought it, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something, way later. I mean, it was, I wasn't born in 1965. I was born way later. But it doesn't matter because the energy, the, the energy on, on it I mean, it's really, it's really so strong, and the the graphics. I mean, I could, I can't, I can't leave the same feeling or the same emotion as being a teenager back then and discovering all that. But I can see the power of it, and it was done by a really good friend of mine, uh, uh, the creative uh, editor, no, the art director for that issue. I mean, Richard Avedon was the guest editor, but the art director was Ruth Ansel. She's like a no, she's like her. She is an uh, 80-something, I wouldn't say, uh, and I don't want to ask, uh, lady in New York who's, she, she's iconic. I mean, iconic in the best way. I mean, I don't use the word iconic very often. Uh, but, uh, but she is. She's done, she was doing Harper's Bazaar back in the 60s, and she, she was doing then New York Times in the 70s, and Vanity Fair with Tina Brown in the 80s. So for me, that's like a wow. And then all the books she's been doing lately, she's worked a lot with uh, Tim Walker recently, in the past years also. And the fact that she had the attachment to that specific issue. I mean, for many reasons, that's that's one of the of my most favorite. After that, all the Italian Vogue with Franca Sozzani, especially '96 to '97, I feel like those two years. Um they did, like, the m- uh, mm-hmm. Macell, they did like the strongest. With Steven myself, they did like the strongest stories of uh, Italian boat, the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Peter Lindbergh was there. Everybody was there. I mean, Helmut Newton was shooting for Italian bow back then. I mean, it, I mean, the the talent of people working in there. Well, also right now there's amazing, great, talented people working in, and I love, I don't know, photographers like Harley Ware, she's great, or Vivian Sasson, or... Jack Davison.
1: Yeah, they- Jack exactly. Davis, amazing, incredible. Ethan
5: James Green, and, and and there's also people that are actually shooting for candy, and I feel like they're growing up into yeah. something better. There's this great photographer, Leah Clay, I really love her, and I mean, there's also, I mean, so the, the, the wheel of talent doesn't stop. But I also feel like, all, the, as I said before, like all this talent is also talent uh, with a great passion for work and the people who are talented, but they're doing something of it. They're, I mean, I know Dick Abedon was a hard worker as Irving Penn is or was, I mean, and now these younger pe- people are also working. Tyler Mitchell now, he's, he's doing um, exhibitions and working for Vogue and, you know, I mean, uh, if you're living the dream of, of, of living, making a living of your passion, of what you like, you have to, I mean, you're lucky, so you have to, to, to work hard in order to worth it. you know, in a way. Because otherwise, there's someone else, as they say in Showgirls, at the end of the stairways, hoping to catch you and <laughs> <laughs> to take uh, your right, place. We're,
1: so, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to ask you one more thing, Louise. Um, yes. In this moment that we've that that, that this this moment that it envelops us that contextualizes everything we've been talking about right now, mm-hmm. what do you see happening? For, you've just mentioned a whole lot of um, talented young people whose work inspires you, and um, I feel the same way. There is there are people now who are making me feel really good about magazines. Um, what 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 happens for everybody now? How do we move out of this crisis in a way that supports supports and sustains everyone?
5: Well, wish I was a wish I was kind of a Gandalf or something, and I had like magical powers. To, <laughs> to, I, I, or maybe I have a, a crystal ball or something to say to, to tell people what to say. But I mean, recently I've always um, I mean, like yesterday or a couple of days ago, there was a post from Barbara Streisand, who uh, <laughs> I admire a lot. I know, and she said <laughs> like uh, like um, when when in terms I mean in this time of uh, this crisis has something like I don't know I, I I don't want to misquote her, but you can go to Instagram and check her Barbara Streisand Instagram, follow her, and uh, now that she says like uh, in this time of uh, crisis it has the potential of bringing the best in all of us and I feel like that quote is I mean it's kind of uh, basic in a way but I feel like that's also kind of uh, true it's like uh, well we are going to figure out how to keep on doing things and uh, uh, we always I also felt I also feel like even though it's an unfortunate a horrible situation it will have been so much better it will we will have had the chance to continue our lives normally but that's not uh the scenario anymore it's not gonna happen this thing is happening now so we have to figure out how to move forward yeah. well yeah. let's try to be to remain somehow positive feeling uh, strong about ourselves who we are what we can do how we can uh be more sympathetic and more compassionate to others because it also felt before this like things were going really fast like it wasn't really like a you know like you, when you see one of those movies with a train that is like a snow piercer a train that keeps running 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 and you know at some at some point it's going to to explode or something it felt very much that way and uh and now it feels like maybe the train now is kind of crashing little by little. But then it's like a uh, phoenix from the X-Men again. You have to rise up again. And add the, the, the the ingredient, the recipe to make that uh, thing work, I really don't know. It's like um, it's uncertain. But before this crisis, every new day was also uncertain. We feel like we have control on things, but the... The greatest thing I feel is like okay, I leave myself to cows, and let's see. I mean, what it brings to me. Maybe it's going to be bad. Maybe it's going to be good. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be necessarily bad. It, it also. I mean, I don't know. It's difficult to say. It's kind of. A, it's also how you take things and what you make of them in a way.
1: What were the words on the spine of the last issue of Candy? Uh, It
5: was uh, give love, get love. Thank you, Luis. It was lovely
1: to talk to you. Bye. Bye.
6: If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, biannual special print editions, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.
4: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com B-O-F, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com B-O-F.
2: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night.